الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة Alhamdulillah, we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created the creation. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us to the straight path and to cleanse our hearts. And we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil of our souls and the consequences of our actions. Whomever Allah guides, none can misguide. And whomever he chooses to misguide, none can guide him to the straight path. I bear witness and I testify that there is no God except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his final prophet and his most perfect worshipper. As to what follows, 
Allah reminds us to be conscious of him in the Quran when he says, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu attaqullaha haqqa tuqatih wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. Dear brothers and sisters, 800 years ago, from this very week actually, one of the greatest disasters in our Islamic history and frankly in world history occurred. And that is the invasion and the decimation of the Muslim lands by the Mongols. In today's brief khutbah, I want to give myself and you a brief lesson in history to learn about one of the most iconic episodes in our own ummah, a very dark episode that completely changed the course of not only Muslim history, but world history, so that insha'Allah ta'ala we can extract some benefits from that dark era. The invasion of Chengiz Khan, Genghis Khan, is one of the most unexpected occurrences in human history. Nobody could have predicted it. And that is because the land of Mongolia, where Chengiz Khan was from, was considered to be a backward land, a land full of what they would call barbarians, a land of people who were never united. They were a bunch of people, we would call them Bedouins, their equivalents, fighting amongst each other, not having any unified religion, not having any culture. They didn't write their own language. They didn't record their own language. And it just so happened, Allah's Qadr, that one person amongst them, with, uh, by the name of Chengiz Khan, with a very interesting history, managed to, over the course of three decades, unite his people under his flag and banner. This was the first time that what we now call Mongolia was united. This was the first time that hundreds of thousands of people of that region were under one empire and one dynasty. And that was none other than the Chengiz Khan dynasty. Now, the greatest civilization next to Chengiz Khan was a Muslim civilization, the land of Samarkand, the land of Bukhara, the Khawarizm Shah Empire. It is now today uh, Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, these lands. It was a civilization of great magnificence and the heritage that they have, we still see the buildings to this day. I was fortunate to have visited this land two, three years ago and it is truly, it's mind boggling what they have achieved. Chengiz Khan sent an envoy of peace and he sent some traders to establish cordial relations with the Muslim empire. But subhanallah, the first village that they entered, the first small town that they entered, the mayor or the local person got greedy and he confiscated the entire trade and he killed one or two of the people and he acted in a very arrogant manner. So Chengiz Khan sent an ambassador, not just traders, an ambassador to the Sultan himself. His name was Muhammad Khawarizm Shah. And in those days, you have to understand the Sultan of every region is like a mini Khalifa. It's not like a unified Khilafah. The Khilafah for most of our history, frankly, was a token figure. And under the Khilafah, you had major dynasties that would pay token service. Yes, we are the, we, you are the Khalifa. But in reality, they are like kings with their own dynasties. And the Khawarizm Shah dynasty was no exception. It was essentially the mini Khalifa. He is in charge of himself. Chengiz Khan sends an ambassador and says, your local governor, your local mayor did such and such. And I request you from one state to another, you take care of this person and you pay us the blood money and you return to us the goods that were confiscated. For whatever reason, the Sultan, his name was Muhammad Khawarizm Shah. The Sultan 
executed the ambassadors. Now you understand, the ambassadors are protected by global understandings. Even in our Sharia, they are protected. You don't hurt ambassadors. But this is the reality of politicians, of rulers of all times and places. Sometimes they act, many times they act in an arrogant manner. And perhaps he thought, who is this person to tell me what to do? What is this new dynasty empire? What are they going to do? So he sent the heads of the ambassadors back to Cengiz Khan. Subhanallah. Historians mention, in all likelihood, Cengiz Khan had no intention of going outside of his land. In all likelihood, he was happy being a part of his people and that's it. This incident acted as the catalyst to enrage him to the extent that he changed the course of history by starting to conquer the known world. The Ilkhanate Empire, the empire of Chinggis Khan, eventually became the largest empire known to mankind during any course of any period of history. And the catalyst for all of this was one of our own sultans disobeying the sharia of Allah and disobeying known protocols and policies and acting arrogantly against somebody whom he thought, what is he going to do? He's a new king. He's a new power. I'm far more powerful than him. And frankly, the Khawarizm empire was a magnificent empire. And they had a sense of arrogance. What does this new dynasty think he's going to do? Well, Cengiz Khan decided that this Response required a response from his end. And he gathered together his Mongolian warriors. And they were fierce warriors. And they had trained uh, their, their, their beasts to ride in a certain manner. And they had specific types of weaponry that the Muslims did not have. Even though the Muslims excelled in some areas, the Mongolians excelled in others. And in particular, they had bows and arrows that were much more powerful than that of the Muslims. And they could also ride their horses in a different manner and do certain things that the Muslims could not do. And they had quantity and they had motivation. And so Chinggis Khan attacked and invaded the lands of Samarkand. And he began with the city, the largest city closest to him, and that is the city of Bukhara, where once upon a time, Imam al-Bukhari taught his Sahih. That Bukhara, the famous Bukhara, where so many scholars of our religion, where so many ulama, and it is a magnificent city to this day. He attacked Bukhara, and the books of history mention he gathered the people in the Grand Mosque of Bukhara and he entered with his horse and his shoes and he sat on the pulpit of the Grand Mosque of Bukhara. I was there two, three years ago and I was surprised to hear the same pillar that still stands to this day, 150 feet tall, that same pillar was what Cengiz Khan saw. It is still there. The location of the masjid is the same, but the walls of the masjid have been changed, but the pillar is the same. The minaret is exactly the same what Cengiz Khan saw. He sat on the mimbar and he gave them a khutbah, quote-unquote khutbah, is not a Muslim, that every one of us should pay attention to. He said in his language, it was translated into Arabic, he said, O Muslims, I am the punishment of your God against you because you have disobeyed your own God. I am the punishment, the adab Allah against you because you yourselves abandoned your religion. And you didn't act in accordance with your own protocols. So your God has sent me against you to punish you. Subhanallah. What profundity. And then he massacred most of the city. Subhanallah. And this was the beginning of many other massacres to come. 
Genghis Khan understood as a tactic of war that he could not conquer the entire globe simply by one tribe of, of Mongolians. Rather, he utilized the tactic of fear in a very amazing manner. He was one of the first people to understand the potency of spreading fear. This is real terrorism, to spread terror. He understood this reality. I know the irony here, historians mention Genghis Khan in his personal life was a very kind and a very soft person. He showed love to children, etc. But as a warrior, as a politician, as a leader, history has hardly known anybody more ruthless than him. And he utilized this ruthlessness against the Muslims. He, he instituted the tactic of massacring an entire city and then taking the skulls and making a pyramid of the skulls of the people outside that city. This was a tactic. What is the tactic? Can you imagine when the army goes to the next city, what do you think that city is going to do? They're going to fight or they're going to negotiate a peace treaty? So from Bukhara, he went to Samarkand and he massacred half the city of Samarkand. Then he marched to one of the largest cities of the time. It is a city none of you have heard of because of what Genghis Khan did. It is a city that was one of the most magnificent cities of the Khwarezm Empire. It is called Urgench. And Urgench stood up and tried to fight and they, they could not fight. So when Genghis Khan captured Urgench, he massacred every single man, woman, child, even donkey and horse. And this is atypical because at least you keep the prisoners of war, you keep the animals, but he wanted to send a message. This is what's gonna happen to anybody who dares crosses my path. The massacre of Urgench sent shockwaves throughout the globe and throughout the Muslim world because the level of brutality was unprecedented. It is said that the massacre of Urgench was one of the worst massacres of all of medieval human history, of all of pre-modernity before atom bombs and whatnot. The massacre of Urgench is one of the worst in the entire history of mankind. And he did this to send that message to the rest of the world. Eventually, Genghis Khan himself passed away. He was already an elderly man when this war began. He died in 1227 and he had four sons and he called his sons and he goes, I don't want you to fight amongst yourselves. I will divide the land into four and each one will be the king of that four. Each one will divide the empire into four. Each one will go and you will then conquer your part of the world, east, west, north, south. You're not gonna fight each other. That was his vision. And so in the next generation, the Mongol empire, founded by Genghis Khan, spread throughout the entire known world. It attacked not only Muslim lands, not related to our Qutba today, it even entered Europe. It even entered Poland and Russia and other places. And Europeans feared the wrath of the Mongols. In 1251, one of the grandsons of Genghis Khan, Mongke, was made the great Khan. And Mongke decided that they were powerful enough to take on the greatest superpower at the time, and that was the Abbasid Empire. The superpower of the world at that time was our superpower, the Abbasid Empire. Forget London and Rome, these were nothing. When London had 10,000 people living in it, Baghdad had a million people living in it. When London did not have a single university, Baghdad had madrasas, universities in every corner. When London had zero bookstores and zero libraries, Baghdad had the largest library in the world at that time. So, Monke says, I'm gonna take on the Abbasid Empire. Long story short, 
He launched the largest expedition known to the Mongolians. And eventually, in 1258, after a number of battles, they laid siege to Baghdad. They laid siege to Baghdad, the greatest city in the world at the time, and eventually conquered Baghdad. And when they conquered Baghdad, what will make you understand not only what they did, but the after effects of the conquest of Baghdad? The number of people that were massacred it is estimated might have been up to one million. At the very least, half a million. Who's going to record statistics? Now realize, when we say half a million, think about the fact that these people are going to be killed person by person. There is no bomb, atomic bomb. It's swords, one after the other. Men, women, children. And he did this, again, this is the grandson of Chinggis Khan, Monk, Hulaku. So Monke sent his brother Hulaku Khan. Hulaku Khan is the grandson of Chinggis Khan. And his older brother is the great Khan. His older brother is the ruler of the Mongolian Empire. His younger brother is sent as the leader against the Muslim lands. Hulaku Khan massacres and pillages Baghdad. And Baghdad never returned to his glory days since 1258. The Abbasid Empire came to an abrupt halt. One of the most powerful dynasties, the land of Harun al-Rashid, that is what Baghdad is. The land of the thousand and one nights, the land of the largest libraries and madrasas and masjids in the world. It is completely decimated until there's hardly a soul left in it. It took more than a century for the city itself to have inhabitants again. And he massacred up to maybe one million people. And not only that, because the Mongolian Empire was a very superstitious one and they did not like books. They felt that books were black magic. They said, how can a person open a book and read the thoughts of another person, the author? This must be black magic. There's no other explanation. So they were very superstitious about books. So they took the largest libraries of Baghdad so much treasure, knowledge, so many books that we could have benefited from and they dumped them in the river Euphrates. It is said that for months the river was black and dark because of the ink of the books that have forever been lost. That was in the end of Hulaku Khan's conquests. They then moved on to Bilad al-Sham and they laid siege to Damascus and they continued their march onwards. If you read the historians of that time frame, if you read people like Ibn Asakin and the great scholars, they literally thought this is Qiyamah. This is Ya'juj and Ma'juj. Some of them said, this must be Ya'juj and Ma'juj. How can this great destruction be caused? It must be the end of the world. There is no coming back. The Khilafah has been abolished. There is no Khilafah anymore. There is no dynasties to stand up and fight them. How are we ever going to survive? There was a feeling of despair, legitimately so. There was a feeling of fear, of paranoia that overtook the entire world. What happened? Here we all are, alhamdulillah, the ummah is, is alive and strong. What happened? You see, Allah Azza wa Jal is the best of all planners. And no one can go against the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within the ummah brought forth someone who would take on this dynasty. And not only that, one of the most interesting things, and this is how Allah Azza wa Jal works in ways beyond our control. Another grandson of Chinggis Khan, another grandson of Chinggis Khan, Berke, converted to Islam and became an enemy of his cousin Hulaku. Subhanallah. This is how Allah works. One of the main leaders within the dynasty 
converts to Islam. And he says that Hulaqu has sacked all of the cities of the Muslims and he has killed the Khalifa. By Allah, I will call him to account for the blood that he has shed. This is Hulaqu Khan's cousin. Hulaku Khan's cousin Berke and Berke became an ally of the Muslims and Berke helped a small Muslim dynasty who up until that point in time was a footnote in history nobody would have heard of this dynasty had it not been for this change in course of history the Abbases have been gotten rid of the Khawarizm Shah is done the Ghurid dynasty by the way the Mongols even weakened the Delhi Sultanate it was one of the reasons why eventually the Delhi Sultanate collapsed and then Babur comes and the Mughal dynasty begins. He weakened, he wasn't able to destroy, he weakened the Delhi Sultanate all the way in Delhi. That's the forces of the Mongols. What happened was when Berke converted to Islam, a small dynasty was given help and aid and Allah chose that dynasty to save the rest of the Ummah and that is the dynasty known as the Mamluks, the Mamluk Empire. It was a small dynasty controlling a province that at the time was not one of the most important. It was Egypt and areas of Bilad al-Sham. At that time, Egypt had not become central to the Islamic civilization. It was the rise of the Mamluks that made Egypt what it is today. And so the Mamluks stood up and with the help of Berke, with the help of Berke, the grandson of, Hula, of, of uh, Cengiz Khan, the, Mongo, the, the Mongols and the Mamluks had a very major battle in this very week of September, in the year 1260. In this very week of September 1260, they had the famous battle that every one of you should know because it is one of the most iconic battles, not just in Muslim history, in human history. That is the Battle of Ain Jalut, in which for the first time ever, the Mongols were destroyed and decimated because there was this perception that Mongols cannot be defeated. There was this superstition that they're not even human because the, the, the reality of their expansion, it belied common sense. So legends began to form. This is a species of beasts, half beast, half animal. They're not actually human beings. They cannot be defeated. Well, the Mamluks stood up and by the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defeated and gave a resounding defeat to the army of the Hulaku Khan that had reached all the way to Palestine and this is in the battle of Ain Jalut and from this battle eventually the Muslim Ummah began to recover the Mamluks invited over one of the remnants of the Khalifa and they put him as a shadow Khalifa and the Mamluks took charge for another three four hundred years until the Ottomans came and the Ottomans then took over the Khilafah and the rest as they say is history by the way for the students of history here and the students in military history as well the battle of Ain Jalut is also interesting for another reason it was the first first time in human history that gunpowder was used ever. The first time gunpowder was used was by us Muslims. Back in the day, we didn't look, uh, we didn't have a problem with technology. We took everything good from every civilization. These days, we are very scared to take anything. We're very narrow-minded. But back in the day, the Muslims understood if another civilization has good, we can take it. And so the Muslims were the ones, the first time in human history, they took gunpowder and they used it effectively against the horses of the, uh, of the uh, Mongols. By the way, the gunpowder was not used for guns it was used just for noise back then they still hadn't figured out how to put the gunpowder put a bullet put a cannon still too early but they used it for noise against the horses and that was one of the main causes of the victory now bottom line with all of this the Mamluks established themselves as the premier dynasty the Khalifa the Khilafa moved to Cairo this is where Cairo begins its ascent and Egypt begins its intellectual rise in the 
era of the Mamluk, Mamluks until 1517 when the Khilafah was transferred to Ottoman lands. And then, subhanAllah, remember Chinggis Khan divided the world into four. Three of those four uh, principalities, three of them eventually embraced Islam and they spread Islam in the very regions of the Mongol dynasty and the rest of the dynasty fizzled out and this was Allah Azza wa Qadr. Question arises, what are some of the benefits we can learn from the reality of this incident 800 years ago? Thawban radiallahu an says that I heard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unrolled this whole world for me and I saw the easternmost and the westernmost parts of this world and I saw that my ummah had reached the easternmost as long as it has reached the westernmost as well both sides my ummah will be there so I asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that oh Allah do not destroy my ummah Entirely do not destroy them because of a plague. Oh Allah, do not destroy my ummah because of a disease. Oh Allah, do not destroy my ummah because of an external enemy who shall come and attack them. Make sure they're never destroyed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded back. Hadith is in Sahih Muslim. Allah responded back to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ya Rasulallah. Allah responded back to him. My qada and qadr has gone forth and nothing changes it. Your ummah shall not be destroyed by plague. Your ummah shall not be destroyed by famine. And your ummah shall never be destroyed by an external enemy who comes in and eliminates them down to the last man. That's never going to happen. But your ummah shall be harmed from fighting from within. They will fight one another. That is the bigger thing. This is what Allah said to our Prophet And if you look at the history of Islam, during the invasion of the Mongols, during the invasion of the Reconquista in Spain, during the colonization of, this, of these lands 200 years ago, the Muslim lands, you find the biggest threat was not just external, it was internal division and bickering and power and hunger and greed. Muslim fighting Muslim, Muslim not allying against Muslim. And we see this from the time of the Mongols and every single time this happened. This is one of the most important lessons, brothers and sisters. Those who are attacking are going to attack. We need to be united. If you study history, the reason why Baghdad fell was because of an internal traitor from within the caliphal palace. Somebody from within the palace purchase for a measly freedom with some money he betrayed the Khalifa this is the reality of what happened throughout our history of the brightest lessons to learn though and this is the main point of the khutbah today of the lessons we learn is that subhanallah politics is politics and kings come and go and queens come and go and Khilafahs rise and fall and politicians rise and fall we don't pin our hopes on politics this is my reality Yes, it's good if we have a strong dynasty. Yes, it's good if we have a strong reality. But this ummah is more powerful than any political dynasty. Even if the Abbasid Caliphate falls, even if the Khawarizm Shah is destroyed, even if the Ghurid dynasty is destroyed by the Mongols, the ummah shall never be destroyed no matter what happens. And in the aftermath, 
of the Mongol invasion. When people thought, that's it, the Ummah's gone, the Ummah's dead, how will we ever recover? Subhanallah, some of our most powerful civilizations, the Mughal dynasty, they were called Mughals because people thought they're acting like the Mongols or they're descendants of the Mongols because Babar is actually a biological descendant of, the Mo of, of, the, of, of Chinggis Khan. And so they called that dynasty Mughal after the Mongols. Some of our most powerful dynasties, the Ottoman Empire, the Mughal Empire, even the Safavid Empire, the Mamluk Empire, they came after and because of the effects of the Mongols. Allah Azza wa Jal works in ways we don't understand. And we thought at the time, khalas, what's going to happen that the Khalifa is gone, the Abbasids are gone. But from the ashes of what Chinggis Khan had done arose new generations and new giants, even great ulama, Shaykh al Islam ibn Taymiyyah, one of the brightest minds of this ummah, he fought against the Mongols. And many people analyze him psychologically that one of the reasons he was who he was is was a response to the Mongols it made him that fierce it made him that legendary that courageous to fight against the Mongols so many great ulama came as well so brothers and sisters since the time of the Mongols we've had many problems perhaps the biggest of them not time for this khutbah the colonization of our lands and the disruption of the Ottoman Empire and the breakdown of the Khilafah very sad times no doubt about that but one thing we need to be firm no matter what happens politically no matter what happens around the world, yes, it's painful. And yes, the loss of life is very, very painful to us. But Allah has promised to protect something more important than my life and yours. And that is the life of the ummah. The ummah and the intellectual and spiritual capabilities of this ummah shall always be alive until the day of judgment. This religion shall always be apparent. It shall always be victorious. It shall always be ever present in this world until the day of judgment. And no matter how many Chinggis Khans come, how many colonizers come, and how many enemies come, the ummah shall be protected intellectually, spiritually, it shall be protected because our protector is none other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah bless me and you with and through the Quran and may he make us of those who his verses they understand and applies halal and haram throughout our lifespan. Ask Allah's forgiveness. You as well ask him for he is the ghafoor and the rahman. Alhamdulillah. All praise is due to Allah, the one and the unique. He it is whom we worship, and it is his aid that we seek. He is the Lord of the oppressed, and he answers the prayer of the weak. As to what follows, on an unrelated but a very, very important topic. This week is the National Suicide Prevention Week of this country. And it is a topic that I have spoken about before, and others have spoken about it as well. Some of you find it awkward, but your awkwardness is not going to stop the rest of us from preaching and perhaps saving a life. We have to be aware, brothers and sisters, that suicide is on the rise in a manner that is not just unprecedented, but inexplicable. We don't understand why. In this country, it is the 12th cause of death of the entire population. In the state of Texas, the suicide rate has risen over 30%. It is now the 11th cause of death of the entire state. Think about that. You have cancer, you have you know, sickness, you have this and that. Number 11 in this state is people taking their lives. And the number one demographics, young men. Young men in particular, the number one demographics. In fact, 
in a certain category of young men, I think from 11 to 20 or something, it is the second highest cause of death, subhanAllah. Second highest cause. And anybody who thinks that our community is safe has not understood the reality of our community. Every few weeks here in Dallas, a janazah is prayed over one of our own who, for whatever reasons, ended their own life. And brothers and sisters, it is important that as parents, as educators, as community leaders, we understand the symptoms, the telltale signs we are monitoring. When we see a young one, when we see our own son, usually it's a son, sometimes a daughter, when we see our own loved ones going down this path, it is imperative we educate ourselves about the symptoms. I have given a whole khutbah, others have given and log on online and check. Very briefly, one of the main symptoms is complete withdrawal from society. To change one's moods radically for no reason. To start blaming oneself. To hear your son or daughter start saying, I wish I weren't alive. The world would be a better place without me. These types of things, when you start hearing them, you start seeing a mood change very radically. You start seeing a, a decline into depression. You start hearing the, the notion or the wish that I wish I were not here. I wish I were dead. These are all symptoms and signs that should start alarm bells in your own, in your own brain. You should realize when you see this, you need to take this challenge seriously. And I have said this before, I will say it again. Times have changed. Maybe we don't understand why this generation is feeling this way. It doesn't change the fact that they are. It doesn't change your not understanding and my not understanding is not going to change the reality. And the reality, speak to any psychiatrist, speak to any person in therapy, they will tell you. The reality is depression and also thoughts of suicide are rising exponentially in the next generation. And that includes our own children. That includes our own, our own kith and kin. So parents, community leaders, Educate yourselves about the symptoms of depression and suicide. Understand that it is a diagnosable disease. It is a disease of the mind. Do not dismiss it. Our generation and our elders, they were on the more dismissive side. Okay, that's fine. That was their generation. They were wrong. We cannot dismiss depression. We cannot just say, oh, this is a figment of your imagination. It doesn't change the fact it's an actual, tangible, psychological, psychiatrically diagnosable disease. And therapy does help. Not just Iman. Iman is also helpful. Good friends helpful. But therapy does help as well. So when you find a young man or woman, when you find somebody whom you feel is going down this path, engage with them. Reach out to them. Show them that they are wanted and loved. Brothers and sisters, I will tell you one episode in my own office and my own interactions. Wallahi, it shook me to the core. A young man from our own community, our own Dallas community, wanted to get rid of his own life. And I'm trying to explain to him and whatnot. One phrase he said, it struck me. He said, the one reason I didn't do that was because I knew my mother loved me and it would cause her harm. It would feel, she would feel hurt. So in order to not cause her pain, I didn't do it. This phrase, subhanAllah, what saved him was the fact he knew his mother loved him. And he knew the pain he would cause his mother. That simple realization, to know that a person is loved, to know that a person feels validated, that's on us. 
That's our job to make sure because all too often such young men or such young women feel nobody cares about me. My parents don't like me. They think I'm a disappointment. My parents think I'm the biggest decision regret they ever had. I heard my dad say so. I heard my mom say I wish I wasn't born. When you start hearing and start thinking along with modern culture, along with everything, along with whatever it might be, I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't diagnose. I don't understand why, but it is on the rise. And I know that one suicide is, not, is more than enough for our community. Much more every few weeks is happening. If we can save one life, if we can save one of our youth from going down this path, as Allah says, it is as if we have saved all of mankind. So I urge all of you, all of you, to reorient your, your thinking when it comes to suicide, when it comes to depression. I urge all of you to be vigilant, especially with your teenagers, especially with the next generation. No matter what they've done, okay, sometimes they have to be rebuked under understandably but that rebuke must be within love they must know they are loved they must know they're appreciated they must know that your future and theirs are intertwined together they must feel validated about who they are even with their mistakes and shortcomings be careful parents don't be so harsh that your children start thinking I wish I was never born you have definitely gone too overboard if they start thinking this way so Use your language with wisdom and understand the next generation is not me and you. We grew up in a different time and place. You will have to change because it's not their fault they're being born in a different time and place. Frankly, it's our responsibility. We were the ones who came, most of us from another land. We were the ones who chose to come here. We were the ones, so you cannot blame them for absorbing the values and the concepts that we find around ourselves. So the compassion has to begin with you. And in the end of the day, you're the adult, not them. So please, Forgive my harshness. You need to step up to the plate and you need to act with the maturity and the love and the wisdom that only you can have. What do you expect a 15-year-old, a 17-year-old? They're still children trapped in the bodies of an adult. What do you expect them to say except be a little bit harsh, mean, nasty? They're throwing tantrums. It doesn't justify you going the other way. You're the adult. Please, brothers and sisters, act like that. And I'm sorry to be blunt here, but if you listen to their stories, if you listen to what their own parents say about them, if you listen and you interact with somebody who's flirting with suicide, your own heart changes and you start thinking through different things. Brothers and sisters, make dua to Allah. Show love to your children. Have your households to be a household of love and iman and taqwa and just lots of dua and lots of love. That's all that we can do. And obviously, if you find one such young man or woman, then please understand therapy does help I have seen myself some of these young men after therapy they're singing a different tune not necessarily fully solved but much better therapy does help going to a professional train and alhamdulillah Muslims are also getting involved in therapy and we now have Muslim psychiatrists and Muslim therapists that can help out as well so ask around and inshallah the masjid as well can help you in this regard most important thing it's our responsibility to protect the next generation. So we need to learn, we need to understand, and we need to take on that responsibility. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help all of us. Allahumma inni da'in fa'aminu. Allahumma la tad'a fi hadiyumi dhamman illa ghafarta. Wala hamman illa farrajta. Wala daynan illa qadayta. Wala maridan illa shafayta. Wala asiran illa yassarta. Allahumma fillana wa li ikhwanina alladhina sabakuna bil iman. Wala taj'a fi qulubina ghillan lilladhina amanu. Rabbana innaka raufur rahim. Allahumma a'izzal islam wal muslimin. 
اللهم من ارادنا او اراد الاسلام والمسلمين بسوء فاجغله بنفسه واجعل تدميره في تدبيره يا قوي يا عزيز عباد الله ان الله تعالى يامر بالعدل والاحسان وايتاء القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعيدكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم اذكركم واشكروا يزيد لكم ولذكر الله تعالى اكبر واقم الصلاه الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله استو اعتدلوا <تصفيق> الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين إن أصحاب الجنة اليوم في شغل فاكهون هم وأزواجهم في ظلال على الأرائك متكئون لهم فيها فاكهة ولهم ما يدعون سلام قولا من رب رحيم الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر
الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين إذا جاء نصر الله والفتح ورأيت الناس يدخلون في دين الله أفواجا فسبح بحمد ربك واستغفره إنه كان توابا الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله استغفر الله استغفر الله السلام عليكم there's been requests for dua one of our brothers his father عبد الرشيد محمد passed away in India إن الله والرجعون we ask Allah Azza wa to forgive him and to forgive all of those uh, loved ones who have passed on. Allah wafir lahum warhamhum wa'afihim wa'afu anhum wa'akirim nuzulahum wa wasi'in wudkhalahum wa'asirhum ma'i wa thalji wal barad wa'naqihim min al-dhunubi wa khataya kama yunaqa al-thaw wal-abiyadu min al-danas. Also, we've had request. One of our sisters uh, in our community has had a major surgery. Uh, so we make dua for her and for all of those who are sick. Allahumma rabban nasi, adhib al-basi, anta shafi, la shifa ila shifa wa shifa la yugadiru saqama. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.